Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts chapter 17. You see, what Paul saw was what everybody saw. Impressive statues, uh, wonderful architecture, but how he saw what he saw was the difference. And then how he felt. He was provoked. And the question is, well, what do you do when you have some righteous anger? Verse 17 will answer the question. So, you could say, therefore, he was reasoning in three places. He reasoned in the synagogue. The closest parallel today for us would be the church with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. He reasoned in the marketplace. That's the agora where shopping and ideas were discussed every day with those who happen to be present. And we're going to see in the next verse, in verse uh, 18, he was also discussing with the philosophers or the intelligentsia or the educated elite. Think of the university. Think of the branches of philosophy and education. And now you've got it. It starts with the church. We've got to be able to reason in the church. This is our word from last Sunday where we get the English word dialogue. It does speak of reasoning intellectually. God has given you a mind and you're to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You don't check your brain at the church door, folks. Intellectually, the Bible should challenge you. The depths of God should challenge you to love Him with all of your mind. And that Greek word means your intellectual capabilities. Learn the, learn the original languages. Study history. Understand the context of the Bible so that you can be more equipped to reason with people. Verse 17. It's got to be in the church so it flows out to the marketplace. What would be a reasonable um, synonym for the marketplace? It could be when you're out at the public park and your kid's playing soccer or baseball. It could be when you're at the shopping mall. It could be when you're out in your neighborhood. That's the marketplace of ideas. Guess what? Ideas are being discussed everywhere, and worldviews are being pushed everywhere. Your kid in public school is getting a worldview pushed on them. Your child older in the secular university has a worldview being pushed on them. And it is up to the church to make sure that we are answering these challenges Answering them honestly and biblically, dealing with questions, reasoning with people. Paul would reason with anybody who happened to be around, anybody who was present. He started to introduce the gospel because the word of God, Jeremiah 29, was like fire shut up in his bones. He couldn't hold it in. And 2 Corinthians 5.14 says the love of Christ compels us. Paul would say, I'm compelled to speak because these people are lost. It's one thing to listen to a message as a detached listener. It's another thing to ask yourself, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with this message that I heard in church? If you leave it in the pew or in the seat, then I don't think you're, you're really understanding the intention of the Bible. The Bible is not only given to us to teach us, it's given to us to change us. Amen? And I know that's what you want. And that's why you come. Change my eyes. Change my heart. So there's Paul, and he's also interacting with the third group, some Epicurean, verse 18, and Stoic philosophers. 
They were conversing with him. That word can mean uh, disputing. It could speak of a hostile debate with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities or gods because he, Paul, was preaching who? Jesus. And I would just, uh, by reason of inference, he was preaching Jesus, the cross, and the resurrection. You can't have a resurrection without the cross. He was probably preaching Jesus' life and death and miracles and his resurrection, going around to different people, all different classes of people, and reasoning and reasoning and reasoning with them. The Epicurean school of philosophy was founded by Epicurus. He lived from 341 to 270 BC. He held an ethical theory based on the atomic physics of Democritus. He presented pleasure as the chief end of life. See if this sounds familiar to you. The pleasure most worth enjoying being a life of tranquility, emotional calm, free from pain, disturbing passions, and superstitious fears, including in particular the fear of death. The Epicureans were materialists. They didn't deny the existence of gods, but they believed that they didn't interfere or intervene in the affairs of men. They taught that at death, the body and soul disintegrate, that there is no afterlife, so be calm, be cool, grab all the gusto you can, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. You disintegrate back into whatever, and there's the circle of life. Isn't that wonderful? You just cease to exist. The computer screen goes blank, and that's it. So just be cool, be calm. But the truth is, do you see in this philosophy there's nothing new under the sun? How can you be cool and calm when inside your soul, having been made in the image of God, you ask questions like, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's true? Why do I have an ache in my soul for something deeper? Why do all the material things never quite satisfy these longings in my soul? Here's the reason. Because you were made in the image of God. And without him, because he's put eternity in your heart, you're never going to be quite satisfied. You're always going to have this underlying ache in your life. Now, the second class of philosophers were the Stoics. They, were, uh, they claimed as their founder Cypriot Zeno. He lived from 340 to 265 B.C. Uh, they took the name from the painted Stoa or portico where he habitually taught here in Athens, Greece. Their system aimed at living consistently with nature and in practice they laid great emphasis on the primacy of rational, the rational faculty of man and on individual self-sufficiency. In theology, they were pantheistic. They confused God with the world's soul. They believed that God was in everything. He's in the trees. He's in this. He's in that. Nature is God. God is nature. Heard this one before? This is embraced by many people. One day I was uh, helping a young man I was mentoring. He was trying to make the high school baseball team. He had not played a whole lot of baseball. Didn't have a great chance to make it. So I said, hey, I'll take you out to the park. We took a bucket of baseballs and I began to hit him some fly balls to get him some practice before the tryout. Out in the distance beyond where the boy was that I was hitting to was a man. He was out there doing some moves kind of like this. You know, 
So I saw him from a distance. Some of the balls, because this guy wasn't a great baseball player, were rolling within his vicinity. So he'd stop for a minute, pick up a ball, kind of toss it next to the kid, and he started doing his thing again. So I was a little curious. So when we went to clean up the baseballs, we made our way out to him, and I said, how you doing today? Oh, I'm just fine. I'm good. I said, what are you doing out there? I just kind of do these exercises that put me in touch with nature and the spiritual, and he just kept doing his thing. And so I said, oh, so you're a spiritual man. I said, what do you think about Jesus Christ? He said, oh, he was a good one. He's, he's a ascended master, a way shower. As a matter of fact, I like to go to churches. There's a lot of energy in churches. And I go there just to feel the energy. It's like, wow. Well, I said, did you know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one's coming to the Father except through me? Oh, I don't really think he said that. Come on now. There's, there's energy and spirituality and everything. I said, no. Actually, Jesus claimed to be God. You can say he's an ascended master or whatever you want to make him, but he claimed to be the only way to God. What do you say to that? I don't really think that. And back and forth, and he wasn't converted on the spot. But I planted a seed in his life with all the weird machinations that he was doing, all the energy stuff. Do you know, there's a guy right now on KKLA. His name is Frank Sontag formerly on KLOS. Many of you may have heard Frank back in the day. He was a New Ager. As a matter of fact, he spoke at New Age uh, gatherings and he would spew this New Age stuff that we're all going to be gods and we all just got to realize, I don't know if you knew this, there's a God in you. You're a God, you just didn't realize it. You got to get in touch with your inner deity, man. Uh, that's the oldest lie in the book, folks, Genesis 3, you eat of the fruit of that tree, you'll become a god. There's nothing new under the sun. So Frank used to speak of these things. And the one thing he would not put up among all the religions that he was willing to embrace was Christianity. These exclusive claims about Jesus, never, no way. Guess what? About four or five years ago, Frank Sontag was born again. And now he's on KKLA telling people that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He realizes what nonsense he had embraced, how illogical it was. Not only were the Stoics um, pantheists, they believe that you could become very indifferent to life. You've heard the phrase before, he's very Stoic. Nothing will affect me. I'm just fine. I'm an impenetrable shield. That gospel stuff's not going to get through me. I've preached to a lot of Stoics over the years. I've preached to them at funerals. I've preached to them at weddings. And they have a deflector shield up in their Stoicism. That's not going to move me. That's not going to affect me. I'm Stoic. But I'll tell you this. God can melt the heart of anybody. His gospel has power. And so these people, part, some of them were saying, what does this idle babbler wish to say? This was Athenian slang. It was a spermalagos. Literally, it meant a seed picker. They were calling him a seed picker. You're thinking, Pastor Michael, what's a seed picker? 
What did the Athenian people think a seed picker was? Well, here was the image. They thought a seed picker was like a bird who picked up seeds on the ground, parroted people's, uh, people's ideas, but didn't really understand them. He's just a parrot. That Paul, did you hear that Paul? He's a seed picker. He's a Chirp, 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 chirp. Blah, blah, blah. That's all he does. Right? And they were making fun of him. And have you ever been there before? Oh, yeah, that Christian message. Chirp, 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 chirp. Can't, don't you have any new ideas? Can't you get with the sophisticated crowd? What they don't know is all the ideas they've embraced are simply regurgitated philosophies from a couple thousand years ago. But they're so wise, right? Chirp, chirp, chirp. That's all he does. Blah, blah, blah. Well, other people were interested. There was some sarcasm. There were some people that were genuinely interested because these people, after all, they had 3,000 at least gods and goddesses. What's wrong with one more? Do you see the undercurrent, though? Apparently, they're spiritually hungry. Otherwise, you wouldn't make, take all the time to make 3,000 altars and all these temples unless you felt like you had to be spiritual or that the gods or goddesses had something to offer your life. So they took him, 19, and they brought him to the Areopagus. They said, may we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. The Areopagus was a court. Literally, it is known as the Hill of Ares. Ares was the Greek god of war. The Roman equivalent god was Mars, hence the name Mars Hill. It may have been an official court at one time, but now... It had been overseen by what we understand as a 30-member Senate, all philosophically trained, all highly educated. They oversaw the Areopagus, and this was the place where people would go on trial, not in a legal sense as to go to jail or not. Their ideas would be on trial. It would be like being put in the hot seat to explain Christianity uh, before 30 of the most educated people in all the world a panel of pantheists and atheists and agnostics and new agers and people of other world religions made up the panel and you're put on this little seat, the spotlight hits you and they say, okay, television cameras are on. Go ahead, Paul. Tell us, seat picker. What do you have to tell this court? What's the idea that you're bringing? For you're bringing some strange things to our ears, 20. We want to know, therefore, what these things mean. Seems to be some legitimate hunger. Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling and hearing something new. You know, we love as people the new and improved. It's all about the packaging, right? So you've gotten down the aisle. What catches your eye down the aisle in the shopping center? New and improved. You have no idea what that means. But the packaging alone is good enough, right? Oh, cornflakes, but they're new and improved. Wow, that's great. So you grab them. So there they stayed and they talked about these ideas. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, turn or burn, baby. Got a sandwich board sign out. And said, if you don't turn, the whole council of you is burning. No, he didn't do that. 
Actually, <laughs> I'm going I'm to show you a little tact here in the presentation. But I want you to see, Paul was angry, he was provoked, but he didn't go and start yelling at people on the street corner. Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you're very religious in all respects. There's obviously a religious hunger among you people. You wouldn't have all these gods and goddesses if you weren't religious. So he started with a point of contact. He restrained himself. He was tactful and winsome, at least to start off. And I would say to you that some of us need to learn this lesson because tact may not be your long suit. You know what I'm saying? You go to people and you don't believe in a dimmer switch. You're going to turn on the lights right now. And they're like, don't you understand? Right? That's probably not going to win a lot of people. The gospel is already offensive. We know that, right? It's already an offense. So some tact can be helpful. I'm not talking about being phony with people, but I'm talking about a point of contact. If someone's having a religious discussion with you, there's obviously a hunger in their heart. They seem to be open to spiritual things. And so Paul says, hey, I can see that you guys are religious. For while I was passing through 23 and examining the objects of your worship, I took a close look. I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. The Greek word for unknown is agnostos, where we get agnostic. What therefore you worship in ignorance. Now Paul is going to get to the point. This I proclaim to you. Paul studied their religion so he'd have a springboard. And what he found among all the altars is one with an inscription to an unknown God. Because in the Greek mind, they didn't believe they knew everything. And if they missed a God that they needed to appease, they put an altar there just in case they missed one. If there's any unknown God out there, we're sorry. We built you an altar too. So they did. So Paul jumped on the opportunity of the unknown altar, the unknown God. Because in this case, God, the true God was unknown to these people. And he used it as a springboard to jump in to the gospel. I just want to say one thing before I move on from this point. When you're interacting with people, remember, people have limited knowledge. Even if somebody tells you they've read a couple hundred books on philosophy, they still only have a small percentage of the knowledge that's out there. And the other thing, statistically, we know scientifically that we only use about what? 10% of our brains anyway, nobody has arrived. Nobody knows everything. I don't care how intellectual they come across, they don't know everything. They haven't wrestled with every idea or concept or claim. And so Paul is going to begin. And I'm going to be able to work through his sermon quickly here. I'll tell you a story. When my oldest boy was young, this was probably... Ooh, 13, 14 years ago, I was teaching this passage and I said, this is what daddy's going to preach tomorrow morning at church. Oh, you are, daddy? And so I read through the passage of Paul's famous sermon in the Areopagus on Mars Hill. It took me about two minutes to read it. He goes, dad, why does it take you 45 minutes to preach that? You read it in two minutes. And I said, shut up, you brat. <laughs> no, I didn't say that to him. I said, how cute. That's wonderful. Anyway. He's right. So here's the sermon. I want you to notice that the sermon's going to move. 
<laughs> yeah, it's going to move from creation to consummation. The God who made the world and all things in it. Now, the Epicureans believe that matter was eternal, therefore no need for a creator. The Stoics were pantheists. They believe everything was part of God or God was in everything. Evolutionists today believe that everything sprung from nothing. There was an explosion. We don't know where the stuff came from, but it did explode, trust us. There was a spontaneous generation of life in a soupy substance, and then the well-ordered life came. Now, I'm oversimplifying, I know. But that's basically it. If evolution is true, what's happened is we've had a creation with the incredible majesty of your brain. You have brain matter in your head that can contain all the memories of a lifetime. You have this majestic creation of your eyes that can see peripherally and has all these nerves. You have, you have smell and taste and circulatory systems, involuntary organ that you don't even, organs that you don't even think about that are moving and pumping blood, boxcars and boxcars of blood over a lifetime, a majestic creation in perfect order, right distance of the sun from the planet, moon, controlling waves, etc., etc. And, and here's what our, this is the intellectual people of our day, uh, there's no God. Or the alternative view now for the intellectuals is, yeah, there must be an intelligence behind this majestic, intricate creation. Therefore, aliens shot uh, the first seeds of life down to the planet, and they're the ones, and one day we're all going to get on a rocket ship, and we'll We'll cruise somewhere, maybe to the outer stratosphere where we will meet our creators. And, but we're going to die because there's really no afterlife anyway. And, but it's the circle. It's the circle of life. Sing it with me, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? The circle. I don't care about your circle. I want to know God. I want to know if eternal life is true. I want to know that this image that he's implanted in my heart and this majestic creation that testifies to his majesty, what will it tell me? What will it lead me to? Paul says there's a God, 24 singular. He made the world and everything in it. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it. Psalm 125 through 27 says, Of old thou did found the earth. The heavens are the work of thy hands. They will perish, but you endure. All of them will wear out like a garment. Garment like clothing, they will change. and Thou will change them and they will be changed. But you, God, you're the same. And your years will not come to an end. In Psalm 14, the writer says, The fool has said in his heart, There is, what? No God. That's not somebody devoid of mental acumen. That's not someone who doesn't have intellectual capability. That's someone who looks at the evidence and says, I won't believe. That's the fool in the Bible. Not someone who's not intellectually smart, but someone who can look around at the basic facts and still deny that there's a creator. Now he says, number two, look at verse 24. Since he is Lord, so God is the creator, 
middle of 24, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with human hands. Paul says, look around you. Do you think that God's going to dwell in the Parthenon? Do you think that God's going to come down and land on one of these altars? Solomon, when he built the temple in 1 Kings says, even heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much more this structure or temple I've built for you. You're too big for that, God. And their God was too small in their eyes. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Hey, this is Pastor Michael Lance. So glad you're listening to Living Truth Radio, and I have the privilege today of sitting with my oldest son, Shane Lance, and he's the worship director at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. And Living Truth Radio is an extension of this church fellowship. Shane, uh, we have a concert coming up that I wanted to give you a moment to talk about here on the program. And uh, this is a concert that is an outreach event for the church. Tell us about what's going on. Give us the date and uh, maybe talk a little bit about what's going on with your music as well. Yeah, we have a concert coming up on September 10th. Um, here at Living Truth, uh, which is located in Corona, and uh, we're just off the intersection of River Road and Lincoln Avenue at uh, Arsenal Way, which is the address is 1009. And uh, the event's going to be Saturday, September 10th. It starts at 7 p.m. The doors open at 6.30 p.m., and we do suggest that you get here early because we expect it to be uh, pretty crowded. Um, and it's a free night of worship, a free concert. Um, it's going to be a really cool time. A good friend of mine named Abiv, he's a solo artist from uh, Temecula. He's going to be out uh, he just released a, a new album, and it's uh, fantastic. And so he's going to be out playing. Um, my band's going to be here. And uh, Hey, what style, of, what style of music does Abiv play? Abiv is like R&B music. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and your band, how would you categorize your band? Uh, we're like indie rock meets uh, contemporary worship. So, okay. Yeah. And uh, you, you, I kind of cut you off there, but you mentioned For All Seasons. Yeah, For All Seasons is the headliner for that night. And they, uh, they've actually are in the process of getting signed to a record label and God's doing a lot of really cool stuff through their music and um, they played at Spirit West Coast and uh, Fish Fest this past uh, year and so doing a lot of really cool stuff with music and so they're going to be out as the uh, the main artist that night and it's going to be just a really cool time. This is a neat outreach night, Shane, because music is something that does appeal to people and even non-Christian people seem to enjoy Christian music. A lot of non-Christians actually listen to Christian preaching as well. Um, on this night, we'll have the three bands, and all the bands um, are excellent, and uh, I'm a little biased, but your band is excellent as well. And um, we're going to also preach the gospel that night. We're going to give people an opportunity to respond to what the substance of the music is. The music is really about coming to know Jesus and, yeah. and coming to know the power of God and a relationship with Him. So if a person uh, would like to come out that night, they can know that if they bring, for example, an unsaved friend, uh, the gospel will be preached that night. It's a great opportunity for that. Um, ultimately, that's the the heart behind the event is not to stimulate people's senses or to leave them feeling really entertained. Um, we want to entertain people, and we are going to put on a good show, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But um, it's not about that. Um, it's about getting the gospel out to as many people as we can. And 